Welcome to Hustle Up's The Big Break, where we talk to showrunners, directors, executives, and other talented people working in the entertainment industry about how they got their start and what they've done to fast forward their creative careers. I'm H. Schuster, the founder and CEO of Hustle Up, and now an aspiring podcaster. We'll see how this goes, and I haven't quit my day job yet. Uh, today, I'm chatting with an incredibly talented writer, producer, showrunner, and longtime friend about her journey from a writer's assistant to a creator and showrunner. Join us for this episode of Hustle Up's The Big Break. Sarah Goldfinger is an Emmy Award-winning writer, executive producer, and showrunner, and one of my first and closest friends in L.A. Recently, she developed and executive produced Trinkets and Partner Track for Netflix, and previously she wrote and produced for Jane the Virgin, Parenthood, Brothers and Sisters, Hawaii Five-0, Charmed, Grimm, CSI, among others. I have to take like a big breath because that's a very long list. Uh, welcome, Sarah, and thank you so much for being a guest on the That's just our uh, that's just our small studio audience. Uh, so uh, so welcome to uh, the big break, and thanks for for being one of our first guests. You know, I've known you for a long time, and I think I met you not long after you moved from being a writer's assistant to I guess what it would have been a staff writer, right? On on a little show called CSI. Um, and if I remember correctly, CSI wasn't really an immediate hit, right? I mean, what what's the story there? Well, so CSI has a very, very funny kind of history in that in season one, before we ever aired, we were a touchstone show. We had offices in Burbank, and I have early pay stubs from Touchstone. And then Touchstone sold us to a small Canadian film company called Alliance Atlantis. And it's never a good thing when you're like starting a show and the studio sells you off in like a couple months. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a warm welcome. It, it, does not, it does not bode well for your future. And I think that at the beginning, it almost felt like a hot potato where it was like, kind of a, I don't know, you take it, you you take it. And also you have to remember we were on CBS, which had Matlock, Diagnosis, Murder. I mean, everybody on that network was over 60. It was, a, you know, and we were on Friday nights at nine o'clock. So not the greatest time slot. And we were like this kind of young, edgy, hip show where it was like, we, we called them at the very beginning, we called them Three Kings shots because it was, remember that movie Three Kings where they yeah, would like go inside the body and follow the bullet into the wound. And like, yep. you know, it was, it was kind of gory and it was edgy and it was the Las Vegas strip and Anthony Zyker had created the show and he was like barely 30, I think when he did it. And so it was just this kind of high octane, high energy show on this sort of senior network. And yep. so no one knew what it was going to be and but Les Moonvest really believed in it and you know was into it so it was funny in that those first few months of working on the show was there was a lot of insecurity but then once we started airing very quickly it became a hit actually yeah yeah, yeah. and and within months I don't remember how long but I do believe it was still in the first season CBS made the decision to move us to Thursday nights. And you have to remember that was must-see TV. On that was Kingmaker, yeah. And so that was like putting us up against, I don't know, Will and Grace, or I, I'm i not sure what was in that 9 to 10 slot or the 10 to 11. But, you know, and I thought, uh-oh, too much hubris. We're flying too close to the sun. Like, this is a huge mistake. <laughs> and then, 
lo and behold, we were like the number one show in the nation. And I mean, the not, it's just such a different time, right? Like we had yeah. 29, 30 million people tuning yep. in on yep. any given Thursday to watch that show. I mean, the, in, in real time, that wasn't even like a plus seven or plus correct. one number. Like correct. that was like on Thursdays at nine o'clock, right? Correct. Yeah. correct. Yeah. And I would love for CSI to take full credit. The other thing that we had going for us now that I'm talking about it was we had Survivor as a lead in. And that was like brand new. Well, yep. you know, you were, you were part I, of that. I was there. I was in the brunette camp uh, yeah. in the heyday. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, that was awesome. so, so, you know, the name of our show obviously is The Big Break. And this was your first job in TV and entertainment. So what was kind of your, your big break moment? How did you get to L.A.? How did you get that job after college? Hmm. Well, um, I moved here. So I, I graduated from college on the East Coast in May of 1998 and then moved here in October. Um, and so I worked back East over the summer and did like the Jewish holidays back East and then moved out here. And I, I moved out with a one-way ticket and I think I had like $800 in the bank and no problem. <laughs> <laughs> for today's inflation. That's right. like, uh... I, don't know. I don't know what it would be, but um, it was, and it was crazy. And I think that if a young person today told me that's what they were going to do, I'd be like, wait, uh, maybe just hang on. And, you know, but at the time I was like, I'm just doing it. Um, and I had a good friend from college whose family lived in Long Beach and I was like, Long Beach, LA, it's all the same. Right. And, you know, <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting into, but Although I had, had, was better in 98 than it is now. Now it takes like four and a half days to get to Long Beach. True, so, true, <laughs> true. Better, but it wasn't great then either. But yeah, but, um, so I, I had a ton of childcare experience. Like almost all of my employment history was babysitting, nannying, camp counseling, all that kind of stuff. So I applied to a bunch of different nanny agencies in town and um, <clears throat> quickly found one that I liked and went on a ton of interviews. And that's a whole other podcast about, you know, interviewing with like Rod Stewart and Rachel Hunter before they got divorced and interviewing oh, wow. like just crazy, crazy. I thought I, I was, I mean, I think now I'm right, but at the time I was like, there is no middle class in Los Angeles. There are like, apartments and mansions, um, which may be kind of true. Um, yeah. And so, uh, but I ended up getting a job with a family. And so I had school age children. So I took care of kids and I had that kind of split shift where I, and I lived in, oh, that's so, so to those of you who are packing up your bags from Tulsa, Oklahoma, <laughs> I lived with the family and I drove their car. So I was able to like bank all the money that I made um, and just, you know, put it all away. So I had, that's a pretty good deal. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to say that that is about the best deal going is yeah. to, is yeah. to be, I mean, home. I made $375 a week, so it wasn't like I was rolling in it, <laughs> but I was able to put all that money away, you know? Right. So it, right. I didn't, I was not spending it on anything like necessary, you know, on my necessaries. Uh, so I had, so I would, the kids would, you know, I'd have that like 6.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. kind of like get them ready, get them off to school, drop them off, and then sometimes grocery shop or whatever, but then not have to pick them up again until like 2.30. So I would use that time to write or take coffee meeting. You know, that was always the like so-and-so's cousin's college roommate's best friend wrote on L.A. Law 12 years earlier or whatever. And they'll, yeah, they're willing to meet with you. So it was that kind of thing. And I would take any coffee meeting with anybody. And, you know, yep. I have 
a, a friend well, who the said- The best I, advice I ever got, which I, I pass on to people regularly, is always take the meeting. People are like, oh, oh you know, do I really need to take this meeting? And uh, take the meeting. Always take yes. the meeting. Yes. It's so generous of people to give their time and you have no idea what it's going to lead to or- you know, and, and based at the time, I mean, look, everybody I was hanging out with was like eight or 48 and I was 22. So I would take a call. I would meet with anybody just to like have a friend or talk to anybody. And the other good news was like, I didn't, I didn't even know enough and I needed to save more money. So I wasn't in the like, what job can you get me? It was more like, how do I break in? What do I do? It was, I was, I was getting advice, not yep looking for a job. So I think people are a lot more inclined to help you when you're just like, question mark, what, you know, like, and you don't have, I didn't have a goal in mind, except like information gathering. That's right. There was no agenda. You were just looking for people to help you figure things out. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, um, and I got a lot of great advice and it was, you know, really small stuff that now we take for granted. And you remember 1998 pre Google. So you couldn't just look up anything and everything about the world. Pre-iPhone, right? Pre-iPhone. No. Oh, pre-smartphone. I mean, I had yeah. like a like a nanny, not even a flip phone. I don't even, it was like a brick. Um, and so I got really good advice, which is like, you know, final draft software. That was a revelation, the script writing software. And like write a spec script, which in today's day and age, spec scripts have kind of gone out of fashion. But at the time it was like, write a script of an existing show on TV to show that you can sort of imitate the voice. Um, And then I got this. My my first spec script was Mad About You. Do you remember that? That sitcom with Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt? Yeah, I wrote a a Mad About You spec. So I kind of want to read it. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of (laughs) don't. My first spec was a Sex in the City. There you go. Excellent. Yep. 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 Um, And so, uh, and then... I got another piece of really good advice, which is you want to be a writer's assistant, not a PA. Because at the time I was like, I'll do anything. And somebody was like, listen, just if you have your druthers, obviously, yes, do whatever gets you over the wall. But if you have a choice, tell people you want to be a writer's assistant because they get to be in the room with the writers and PAs are like driving around in their car and running errands and not getting FaceTime with anybody. So if you want to get FaceTime, you're better off being a writer's assistant, which was great advice and something I would never have known to ask for. Um, And again, at the time, pre-email, so PAs were literally driving scripts around all over Los Angeles, delivering them to actors. They were never, you never saw them. Like they would be there at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, and then you never saw them. So they had to hand off a a paper watermarked script, right? Yeah. Yeah. With colored change pages and whatever. That's right. That's right. Take the pink pages and replace them. Collate them. Oh my God. I got carpal (laughs) tunnel from collating uh, page, colored pages. Anyway. Ah, the good old days. Paper cuts and. Oh, so hard. No, it's, um, and so, uh, you know, it was great because like with each subsequent meeting, I gathered another piece of information and like put it in my box and was like, okay, okay, okay. And then by the time I got to a meeting a year into being in to Los Angeles, you know, somebody was like, well, do you have anything I can read? And I was like, I have a spec script that I wrote on final draft, you know, like I knew just <laughs> enough to like get out the information. And that was my sex in the city. And this person who was a screenwriter and is still a good friend ended up reading it. And it was like, wow, you kind of have your shit together. And I was like, do I? Oh, my God, that's so exciting to hear, you know, because you're completely in a vacuum. 
Um, now, have, you, I, have you workshopped the script with anybody prior to that, or was this the first person to read it and give you feedback? I mean, I think I'd sent it to friends who weren't even writers. You know what I mean? Like, just yeah. close contacts. But I didn't know a lot of people in the community. Right, right. My mom I mean, liked it. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Like, my best friend Jesse really liked it. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And at the time... I mean, again, I think now with online stuff, you can find writers groups more easily, but that wasn't really, I didn't even know how to go about it. I would take things like, remember Learning Annex? Yes. I took Learning Annex classes. There was a great one taught by Winnie Holtzman who created My So-Called Life. Yeah, sure. And she was fabulous. And it was just like an evening of her telling story. Like, you know, just, so I would take, and I don't think Writers Guild events were open to non-Guild members, but I would sort of try, I would go to the Writers Guild library. That was huge. And I still recommend that people do that because I don't know if they still let you do this, but you could look at the paper script on your yeah. lap and watch it on TV with headphones. Wow, that's kind of cool. So it was awesome because you could really get a sense of like, here's what's on the page and then here's what's ended up on the screen so that your brain could like translate it, which was yeah. really helpful to me. So yeah. I would do stuff like that because the library is open to anybody. You don't have to be a member to go to the library. I mean, what's um, interesting about what you're describing, Sarah, is like so much of it is about networking, but really like also just like trying to get the tools you needed to write a great script, right? So that then when you had the opportunity to pass it to the screenwriter, it was in a state where he was going to be inclined to say, let me help you do something with this. Right. So it's sort of this twofold thing of like upskilling, like, like figuring out how to like be a writer and be a, a good writer. Right. Um, and then also like, how do I find the relationships that are going to, to move me forward? I'm really curious, like now when you're talking to young writers about breaking into the business, you know, baby writers, as they get called about breaking into the business, like, because we now do have Google and, you know, email and all these other things, like, do you think it's changed? Um, or do you think it's still sort of the same process? Uh, I, I wish I knew how to answer that. I, I feel like it's, the same in the sense that like setting yourself up for success is writing a script and, you know, doing like being at the ready when somebody is, what is that, you know, sort of right. preparation meets whatever right. that, that, that adage is. But, um, so I think that's a good piece of it, but I, I think in some ways, and like, this is true of the internet in all sectors of life is like, it's it should be the great equalizer. And yet it sort of almost has made information so ubiquitous that it's like harder. Now everybody knows to be a writer's assistant, right? right. Which is terrific. Good. I'm glad the information is egalitarian, but it also makes it much harder to get those jobs. More competitive. Yeah. More competitive. And I yeah. think also just streaming in general, like there is no staffing season anymore. So kind of knowing when to look, I mean, not that there's no staffing season, but really very, it's, it's, it's a year round thing. More structure, right? More structure, yeah. more process. Like I remember getting from, from my agents at ICM, you know, mm -hmm. all of the pilots for pilot season. Right. Yes. And then like you identify the pilots you're interested in getting a, a general meeting for. Right. And like, right. that's sort of out the window now, or it, it happens all year long. Right. 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 And like one of the things I did, right. As I had my spec trip and somebody told me it was good and I was like, okay, is it in that staffing seat, like May, June, whenever all the pilots have been, excuse me, had been decided, Variety would publish like a double page spread of 
all the networks, which were like four, <laughs> you know, so like the four networks every night, every prime time, time slot. And it would yep. be like, okay, this is the show. And this is the production company making that show. It was a big grid. And yep. I went and like found the production company and like looked them up in the phone book and like faxed them a resume. Now that didn't work. It, nobody got back to me. It was like nothing, but it really, I mean, talk about. But you did use the words phone book and fax in the same sentence. I so know, you do I really, really, really edit that part out. Um, no. <laughs> um, but, but there's no sort of aggregator of information yeah. like that anymore. I don't even know where, I mean, maybe I'm just, I don't, maybe the agencies have it and I just don't know, but like, there's not a place to go that would give you that clear cut information with all the shows being made and who's making them and what, you know, it just doesn't. So there's so many on an endless yeah. sort of uh, 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 rotation, right? Yeah. And at first I thought year round staffing, that's fabulous. That doesn't, that's like, cause you know, staffing season was very stressful and you would get like, there'd be this sort of six week period where you would read a thousand script, not a thousand, you know, read dozens of scripts, take a dozen meetings, be completely stressed out, hope that the musical chairs ended and you got a seat, right? That was That's sort right. of how it felt. Right. And I always described it to people who aren't in the world of like, you know, when people are doing like medical school, at, right? When they graduate from medical school and they're like placements and it's like, okay, you're my yeah. top choice and this is my choice. And it's a shuffle. It's such a, it's, it's like a very mask. stressful yeah. shuffle. And I, and I, so when I first thought about year round staffing, I was like, oh, that's so great. What a relief. But the truth is it's made all the information very diffuse. So it is really hard to like know who's hiring or who, you know, like if I were starting out today, I don't know where I would look. I mean, right. Yeah. So that's really interesting. That's really interesting. I mean, so, so let's go back to your moment though. So now you have this screenwriter who uh, has said, this is, this is a pretty good spec script. And then, and then what happens next? Well, I'll name him because he did me a huge solid. So his name is Michael Berg. And he was friends with both Anne Donahue and Anne McGrail, um, who we were a couple at the time. And we referred to him as the Anns. And he was like, you know, the Anns both have new shows. And I think they're, they're going to need writer's assistance. And like, you know, do you want me to pass your information along? And I was like, do I? Oh, my God, that would be amazing. Yes, please. And so he did. And Anne Donahue, uh, I think they were like, on Cape Cod at the time or something, she called me and she was like, Michael Berg never recommends anybody. And if he likes you, we like Michael, like just go in for a meeting with my assistant. And so I met with the assistant and it was literally, I think I took the meeting on a Tuesday. They called me on a Wednesday and said, can you start Friday? Yeah. Yeah. And that's how like, it works, right? Like hurry up, you know, wait, 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 and then hurry up. Right. Now we're going. I describe breaks as like seven years and then overnight. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, mine didn't exactly. take years, but it, it really, you know, it, 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 it's so hurry up and wait. Yeah. Or wait and then hurry up. So it's really interesting. Like I tend to ask people, like, do you feel like you could have like planned for your, your, your big break moment or moments, or is it serendipitous? It's kind of both, right? I mean, I mean, you were doing all the work. You were like doing all the things you needed to be doing to be ready when it happened. And then it just kind of magically, you, you know, like it, the, the things aligned, right? The universe aligned and, and, and you had this moment, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if you really do have to sometimes trust the universe in this business, I think, because I mean, it was the verge of summer. So it was probably, I think I started the job in June. So like the kids were about to go on summer break. They were going to be in summer camp. 
I had sort of decided with the family that I was probably going to leave because there wasn't much for me to do while they were away. And so I knew my job would be ending. And I was like, I guess I could sell the car that I've now, you know, because this is now cut to a year and a half, a year and a half, two years later. So I'm now like, I do have my own apartment. I wasn't living in anymore. And I (laughs) I bought, I bought a used car. And so I had a car. And so like, I had things, but I was really like, well, shit, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess yeah. I could take a different nanny job, but I really would like a staff job. And I've kind of given myself this timeline and, and staffing season's ending. And I don't know, you know, and shows right. tend to hire from the top down, right? So assistants right. get hired last. So you're sort of like knowing it's ending, but like not knowing quite when they're going to go for to start to hire assistants. So yeah, it was, I mean, in retrospect, you're like, yeah, and then I got a job. But while it was happening, I mean, it was a nail biter down to the moment, like, that's amazing. Yeah. And and I mean, the timing was unbelievable, right? Yeah, and, unbelievable. And, and so you started on CSI um, as a writer's assistant, and then you have a relatively, in this business, unusual experience of working on CSI, which became this hit juggernaut show for what, almost a decade, right? And you went from, from writer's assistant to co-EP, right, when, yeah. when you decided to leave the show. And I'm curious, like, what's that experience like of being with a show, especially when it's your first job in the business, Mm -hmm. being with a show and growing your your sort of career and and skills and everything else um, on a single show, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if people even get to do that anymore. Nothing lasts that long. Right. Uh, it's like, it's like two and done, one and done. Maybe yeah. if you're, if you're really popular on Netflix, four and done, you but know. even then a season's only 10 episodes and we were right. doing 22, 23, 24 per season. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. So g- great question. Um, that's a, yeah. by the way, that's a lot of dead bodies played by a lot of famous people. True. So true. <laughs> true, true, true. um, it was great. I, I, I mean, I, I so you know, it was an example of kind of like dance with the one who brought you sort of thing because I was writing Sex in the City, Gilmore Girls, like Ally McBeal. Like I was really into sort of female-centered dramedies. That was like my jam that I was writing, that I was watching, that I was studying. And then I got on this like big muscular crime show and I thought, what am I doing here? I don't know anything about this. But you dance with the one who brought you over the hill. You know what I mean? And so I was like, okay, I'm going to make this work. And this is my big break. I'm going to do everything I can to, to make this work. And then of course the show did really well. So that was also huge. And that like, I was like, Oh, I am in a right place, right time moment. Like I really appreciate this and like take what you can from it. This is a comet. Hang on to the tail for as long as you can. That's right. Yeah. Um, so it was great. I mean, I always say that I think most writers write from character, right? That's like where you start if you're thinking about writing your own piece or something. And CSI was plot. I mean, you know, and the character stuff mostly comes from the melodrama of the guest cast of the week, right? It's not, there wasn't a ton of character development with the main characters. I mean, over many years, it was a slow romance here or there but it was not it was not intended to be uh you know serialized in that way that's right it's very procedural right that's the that's the genre right and, and yeah and so um it really taught me about plot and i think what was also nice is you know at the beginning it was a relatively small staff so it was carol mendelson and donahue and anthony zyker were the three sort of showrunners those were the people who but that there was six people, 
three of whom were often not in the, you know, out putting out fires and dealing with the network and dealing with the fact that we were sold by the studio and, you know, like just this constant sort of like, oh my God, you know, like, what are we doing? Um, and so does that mean that, that you sort of had the opportunity to take on more responsibility and kind of grow with the show, um, more, more quickly perhaps than if they had been, they had had a huge staff or been really top heavy or had a lot of junior people like, like, you know, I know your experience on the show was you, you wound up, I think what running the writing room at some point and, you know, you, you really grew, um, the skill set that you had, right, as a function of, of being on that show for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it. I describe it as crossword puzzle television, where you have to, like, you know, this clue and this clue have to link, and you can't see the whole picture until the very end, but it should feel satisfying enough that it's not coming out of nowhere, but you couldn't see it coming, so that at the end you're like, oh, oh, you know, and you have that moment of, like, release and, and delight that you, like, that's who did it, right? It should have that feeling. And so that's not easy. That's actually very, very hard. And so, and at the time it was, everything was like law and order. And, you know, the cop shows were very much like, get them in a room, question them, shake them down and get them to tell you the truth. And this was like, no, no, we're not that show. It's a fiber. It's a hair. It's a this, it's a that. And that was, I mean, now everybody sort of takes that for granted as just being sort of par for the course, but at the time it really wasn't. And so So interesting, right? It reinvented the genre, right? Yes. And so we were like reading science books and everybody was like, I don't know, how do we make this interesting? And like, can't we just shake them down? And then it was like, no, you can't. You have to be, you know, figure out how to get there through evidence and then combined with the human element, right? So it was this, so everybody was learning. I mean, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that I wasn't like the newbie and everyone else knew what they were doing. And I had like, we were all sort of like, what is this show? And what is this genre? And how are we going to make this interesting for television? And like, call the real CSIs. Cause I don't even know if that, can you get DNA from sweat? Like nobody, you know, we just didn't (laughs) know. Like it was really hard to know. And so there was, so, so yeah. So the small staff combined with the fact that like everybody was learning on the fly, how to make this particular show gave me um an opportunity in a way of you know of just like if I read the same books as everybody else and sat in the room like everybody else and sort of stayed after to try to solve problems then I was you know likely to kind of get noticed and so at the beginning I was told like don't speak as the writer's assistant don't speak which I think is good advice like you should just sort of be a fly on the wall taking notes and then they got stuck one day and and there was there was like a there's high level of frustration in the room, and I you know this is probably a month into my being a writer's assistant, and I was really scared and just quietly was like, well, what if it was a war going on? And they were like, what? And I was like, what if what if it was a war? Like I just you know, and then they like whatever it was, they like I still can't hear you. Wait a minute, what was it? <laughs> it's very funny. This actually came from the nanny family that I worked with. Is that um, they had wine in big crates that were shipped to them. And the the name of the family would be like on the bottom of the wine crate, you know, like when okay. it got shipped. Yep. And so we had a body buried in the desert in a wine crate. And it was, it was sort of like, how are we going to link it back to the family? And I was like, well, what if it's stamped 
with the family's name or there's some branding or there's something on the crate itself that which whatever it wasn't the it wasn't the most genius thing but i i got us out of this the, we were in a dead end alley and i was able to like back the car up and get us out you, right you like broke the story right it, well, it was like, with a solution it was the clue that we needed to get out of the dead end right and so um one of the writers pointed to me and was like you talk more I was like, okay. <laughs> and that was invitational. Yeah, right, uh, right, it's right. really it's really interesting, right? Because I think coming back to what you said at the beginning about you you dance with the one you came with, you know, what what's great about hearing you talk about CSI is you're like, hey, I was really interested in these character-driven, female character-driven dramedies. But then when you talk about having to figure out how to tell a story around evidence and how to kind of reinvent this genre and do it through, you know, plot driven, you know, uh, you know, driven plot points. Um, you talk about it with a lot of like passion for it, you know, like it, it, it's pretty interesting, right? So like you find the challenge and you kind of dig in and develop your your writing around what challenges are presented to you, right? Somebody else who uh, might get ca- it might, might get staffed on a, on a comedy and not think that they necessarily have the ability to do a setup and a, and a payoff. And then suddenly like, that's the thing they're learning how to do, right? Which is right. pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I grew to really, really respect it. It, yes, it has slight formulaic. It can be formulaic, but I, I grew to really respect it as a genre and appreciate it, and then find the fun in it. I mean, that was the yeah. other thing. Like, I think if you're like, well, I guess I have to put my humor in a bag at the door here. Like, that's so fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? And at least with this show, like, I found a ways to have a ton of humor with the guest cast. Or, you yeah. know, I mean, Billy Peterson, who was the lead actor at the time, had a great kind of wry sensibility. And you could, like, lean into that if you wanted to. And, yeah. yes, it wasn't Gilmore Girls. But I certainly... I, but I but I would write, you know, like fast-talking teenage girls who were part of the show, you know, who were in the guest cast that week. That's right. You take your opportunities, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then what, what, you know, what sort of made you want to, to, to have a change and to, and to leave that show and move on to something else? Yes. So my, my like, off-color joke is I just wanted to write a sex scene that didn't end in rape and murder. <laughs> like, oh. I, I just wanted to write a sex scene that was like, and then they make out, you know. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, and I had done over 200 episodes. I'm trying to remember how many, but it was, like, 200 episodes of, of murder TV, which was yeah. more than I ever thought I would do in my yeah. lifetime. Um, and it was just... I was getting hungry to write other kinds of stories and like as lucrative as it was and as great as it was. And I have to say CSI found ways to keep it fresh. And we had a lot of staff, our staff grew tremendously. There were new people being hired all the time. And so they would bring new energy into things and their own sensibility. And one thing that I give Carol Mendelson a lot of credit for is she would lean into different writers' strengths. Like, even within CSI, I mean, everything sort of went through her computer or Noreen's computer or, you know, eventually when Anne went to go do Miami and Anthony went to go to New York, like they yeah. would, everything would run through a show on her computer. So it wasn't like, it would all feel the same to the viewer, but like I wrote, I don't even know, but like, you know, like Anthony Zyker episodes were different than Sarah Goldfinger episodes were different than David Rambo episodes or Alan McDonald episodes. Like they all had a different feel. And she kind of respected that and let you a little bit have your own voice and your own feel inside yeah. a CSI. So 
that was really great. So I'm, I don't want to say that I was like. She probably you know, knew you needed that, right, to feel like you wanted to keep going, right? Like you, you have well, to feel inspired by the material. Or she just liked bit. that as a, you know what I mean? Like as the, she, she liked that the show had enough elasticity to support it. You know, that that's right. Like, yeah. Oh, this is going to be this kind of fun episode this week or whatever. Um, and so I think. Even within that, though, I was getting very hungry to write, honestly, just more serialized things. Like, I wanted to, I got into TV in the first place because I wanted to write things that went on and on. I was never, I didn't have a lot of desire to write features. I liked the idea of things going episode to episode and having some long form storytelling. So I was, I was getting really hungry to do that. And so I I think that's really what it came down to. Um, And I also, you know, for as, as amazing as it was, I was also a little bit like isolated on CSI Island, you know, like my, and I, and I wouldn't trade it or take it back for anything. It was so amazing, but it was also like, I didn't really know that maybe, you know, like, unless you came in the door to, to us at CSI, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, like a lot of people who go to this staff and that staff and the life I've led since CSI, which is, you know, going up to a lot of different staffs and learning different rooms and different techniques and how different people run a show. Um, so it was, it was, it was time, you know, it was, I had, I did nine years and it was time. Nine years, a long time in any job these days, right? Yeah. What is it now? The average person is leaving a job every two years. It's yeah. crazy. I mean, that's a long run. And I'm curious, like, I'm really curious, like the degree to which you think that, that it's hard that you get pigeonholed or, or, you know, writers in general, I should say, get pigeonholed in a particular genre or format, right? Like, what was that like to kind of announce to your agents and to the industry, like, hey, I've been doing this really successfully, and now I really want to go try something different? Yeah, so I I think it is a concern, and I think people do sometimes want to be able to give you a brand, um, but you can write your way out of anything, right? So that that's what I did. I wrote a spec pilot um, that was a multi-generational family show. It's kind of a dramedy and um, based on sort of an amalgam of like my family, the couple of nanny families I had worked for. It was this, it was a, a fun, and it, by the way, that pilot still gets me work. <laughs> so I, it's a, I, a huge debt of gratitude. It's never been made. Pilot. I remember when you wrote that pilot. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, and so that was my exit strategy. I wrote something that was very, character driven, family oriented, because I wanted a job. I wanted like a brothers and sisters of parenthood, which is what I ended up getting. Um, and so I, I, I sort of wrote towards my goal, right? Like it was also the script that was like living inside me and wanting to get out, but it was, it just, it was also like, okay, but that's also the kind of TV I want to write. And I need to show people I can do that because why would they believe me? Cause I've only done this one thing. That's interesting. So your, your first show after CSI, was it brothers and sisters? It was. It was brothers and sisters. And so was, was it different getting up and going to the writer's room every morning? Like, was, was there a significant difference of, of, of how you kind of uh, broke stories in the room or worked together? I mean, a lot of that, I guess, is also how a showrunner likes to run the room. But, you know, what, what was it like to, to not be focused on dead bodies anymore? I mean, every show has a different culture, a totally yeah. different culture. And I was going from one where I kind of helped define the culture because I'd been there since the beginning and by the time I left was a very sort of 
mouthy 30 something, you know, like I think I, I, I sort of had a lot of comfort and a lot of, I'd been there for so long that I was like, I know my way around here, you know, like I, and so I left um, and I got to brothers and sisters and it was just a totally different vibe. I mean, it was a top heavy show with writers and you know, a top heavy show with the cast. It was Sally Field, yeah. Rob Lowe, Callista Flockhart, yeah. Rachel Griffiths. I mean, it was Ken Olin and Patty. You know, it was like a lot of heavy hitters. And so yeah. it was- A lot of whom are multi-hyphenates, right? Who believe yes. that they are, you know, yes. writers, directors, producers. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so that was an unusual thing for me. And, you know, and something that was very actor driven, right? We had table reads I'd not, CSI had like two table reads the first season and we were like, eh, it's not worth it because half the time it's just a narrator reading like, camera goes into body and sees bloody, <laughs> you know, we were like, well, this is a waste of everyone's time. So we didn't do table, I mean, right, it was a whole different kind of story. It, it was just, it was oh, really yes. different. And But yeah. I was coming in as a co-EP and I sort of thought I had all this experience and yet I had very little, I had a deep, whatever, it's a, a deep hole instead of a wide field or whatever, you know, like I. It's really I, interesting. So you learned a whole new set of skills like table reads and other things, managing yeah. talent and working with talent and all of that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And just very different on the set. You know, I mean, like I, at CSI, we were encouraged to, to sort of, you know, often writers had been there for years and directors just came in to do one or two episodes a season or you were working with directors who were in-house directing producers who you'd known for five years already. And there was a shorthand and they'd be like, you go tell the actor and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, some of that is great, but then some of it teaches you bad habits because you get on another set and the director's like, please don't talk to the actor. That's my job. And you're like, right, right. right cool, cool. You know, <laughs> so like, or, or the actor's like, why are you talking to me? Who the fuck are you? You know, so like it, 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 there are just different rules on every yeah. every set, every everything, um, and so there was a little bit of like an uh, uh, a new language to learn at Brothers and Sisters that I had to learn, which is which is very interesting, right? To be coming in at a high level but having still so much to learn. If That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you know maybe it's good for all of us to remember, even when we're coming in in a high level, we still have a lot to learn. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. So, you know, you have this experience in CSI, you have this experience going to shows like Brothers and Sisters and, and you know, Parenthood and some other shows that are more dramedy, uh, character driven shows. And, you know, and then you start developing. Right. And, and you are now somebody who takes a show and develops it from from zero to one. Right. And you, you did that with Trinkets and with uh, a Partner Track. And um, I'm sure there are many more to come. Um, you know, what's that like to, to actually be able to like shape the source material and, and, and really own the project from the very, very beginning? So just to clarify with Trinkets, I came in to run season two. So that show okay. was, was up and running and doing its thing and I didn't have to develop it from scratch. So it, that was a little it. bit of a different animal. Um, and so, uh, you know, and I've developed in all different kinds of ways, right? So my last two years at CSI, I was in an overall deal, which is a beautiful way to develop because you spend your time on the show and then you get some time off to go do write pilots for the network. And I wasn't really writing anything that CBS wanted to make necessarily. So it wasn't like a slam dunk and a great fit, but it was, it, it, it's a, it's a lovely way to develop because you're inside a deal and you know, you have a day job 
but you also have a lot of support when you're trying to do your own stuff. So that was really, and you know, know they're going to read it, you know, they want to read it. And if they don't want it, you can ideally take it someplace else. And so, and so there's momentum. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So all of that was, so that's a nice way to do it. Um, And then I've also developed where like I got paired with somebody, a writer who had an idea um, at HBO and she wasn't a particularly seasoned writer and needed somebody to work with. And so we developed this idea together or, you know, uh, adapting a book or like there's all different ways that you can develop. So and then in the case of Partner Track, um, Georgia Lee had developed the pilot from a book. And then when I came on board, it was like, okay, but what is season one? Right. So yeah. we have a, we have a pilot and we know we have a show, but we don't know what, you know, how, how do you divide this book up or, or what, goes, what are we going to yeah. take from the book and what are we going to make? Because the book was also, I think, about 10 years old. So, and it's about microaggressions in the workplace. So it was about kind of modernizing it and trying to make it, which by the way, trying to keep up with that, that was running a pace, you know, the, the pace of I mean, how fast that is moving and trying to write. Yeah, you're reading the news going, we need to change this up. No, yeah. no joke. Like literally yeah. things were changing. The sand was shifting under our feet as we were writing it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, so all a little, a little different. Um, and then I've had, you know, a couple of things that I've developed solo that haven't gone to series, but have, you know, you do that process by yourself kind of thing or with a producer or something like that. Yeah. So always a little different. Um, and show and running. Do you enjoy developing um, material? Like, is that fun for you to kind of, you know, work on a project where you're starting out? Uh, you know, what, are, what are kind of the differences, I guess, in, you know, kind of, jumping on a show, you know, a season or two in, um, versus starting with a show, right? Like it's a very different thing I imagine, right? Yes. And I think if I had my preference, I'd probably pick being somewhere from the beginning because it really does, you invest differently. I mean, it's not that I don't invest in things that I, but you, whenever you've entered a show and you're not there from the beginning, you're playing catch up no matter what. Right. And the difference between watching a fully finished season of television versus having lived through it in the writer's room and on set and remembering every little thing that went wrong or went right. And the being in the trenches with the other writers when that episode was getting made and Oh my God, do you remember? Like you just, you feel it in your bones differently than a writer coming in. Like Jane, the Virgin's a good example of that. Like I came on, I think it was only season, it was midway through season two. So it wasn't even, that deep into the show but those writers were so entrenched and so invested and had so much like just sense memory and history and that show moves at quite a clip and so there was just a lot of density for me to catch up on um that like just watching it from the luxury of your couch is just it's just a totally you're not feeling it in your bones in the same way even if you're you know, you're, you could like tell the people what the plot is, but they just know, they remember why they did that and why the characters went this direction instead of that direction. So that when you pitch something, they're not like, oh yeah, yeah, we tried that last season. It didn't work. And you're like, oh, hmm, okay. Right. So yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, I I wasn't here. I don't have the benefit of that. Yeah. So there is something about being there to like make the DNA, (laughs) you know, that's, that's like, it just, it's a slight advantage. Um, it's a lot of responsibility and it's like, you know, like getting a season one show up and off the ground is, is a tremendous amount of work, probably more work than a subsequent season, but it's, to me, it's worth it to have been there from the beginning. But that said, you can, you know, obviously people jump in in the middle of the thing all the time and it's fine. It's just, if I had to choose, yeah. 
and and you know what's next for Sarah Goldfinger? Like, where do you wanna? Where are you heading next? Are you gonna sort of try and uh, continue to develop? Are you? Do you like working for Netflix and streamers? Are you like I, I miss network television? Like, yeah. what's what what's sort of where where's your head right now? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean. I'm a little all over the place because so I have, you know, there are pros and cons to everything, right? Like you asked me if I like developing and the answer is like, yes, of course. And, you know, like I have not yet created my own show. That's mine that I've been running. I've run two shows that were somebody else's, you know, initial vision. Yep. So that's like the last of the, you know, the brass rings to grab would be like creating my own show. And I obviously, you know, would love to be able to do that and really put my own tone and point of view and voice on something so that, that stands out there to me. But you also asked if I like to develop. And it's funny, lately, I've been joking with friends that you get that, you know, like, you win the opportunity to develop a book, or, you know, like, you're sort of fighting other writers out for a particular piece of intellectual property, and then you get it. And you're like, I have won this glamorous volunteer opportunity. (laughs) When can I staff on something? (laughs) (laughs) Because you do not get paid. It it is a very rare situation where you get paid to develop. And that's, again, kind of unusual. Like in the old network system, for better and for worse, there was a, you know, they bought, I'm going to make up numbers here, but like they bought, let's say, 60 pilots and you got paid to write it. And then- they maybe made 12 of those. They, you know, they shot 12 of them and then maybe they only aired four or five. So the odds were rough, but at least you got paid. You got paid for your steps, right? You got paid for your steps. Yeah. Yeah. And so Uh, now it's this weird, you know, like they want you to pitch the entire season, you know, for free without, and then, and then maybe write a pilot for free you know so it really is a bummer like you used to get paid to do this kind of work which not only is it a good incentive but it also like gives you the time you know you don't feel like oh I also have to take a day job or I also like it can be your job to do that that's right that's right. Yeah. Um, no, it's a great point. I mean, I think also, you know, budgets are getting tighter and tighter. People want more for less. You know, the industry is uh, very inclined to enjoy uh, free labor, uh, which is is yes. highly problematic. <laughs> yes, very problematic. Very problematic. And so, what what advice would you give, sort of, that baby writer coming into the business now? Like, if if someone was coming to you. Sarah Goldfinger, the way you came to uh, the screenwriter who read your your Sex in the City script, um, what what advice would you give to that baby writer? I don't know. It's I, I guess you can always keep writing. I mean, that's yep. that's one thing I will always say is that that is the advantage of being a writer versus even a director or an actor is that all you need is your computer. Like you other generating. people, other yeah. people need a lot more money and time and attention and space and all kinds of things to make their art people and collaborators and yeah 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 yeah. and all you need is a computer and your imagination so we will always have the advantage in terms of starting out in the sense that like you don't need a bunch of other things to make your bones and to make your thing happen so keep writing (laughs) would always be kind of the number one thing um and i used to joke that my my advice to anybody starting out as an assistant, like in the business was always check the lunch order before you leave the restaurant. Um, That's my like, you know, take fountain um, because you will inevitably end up back at the restaurant if you do not check it while you're there the first time. Um, Because 
somebody has now. And you'll be the assistant that got the lunch order wrong, right? right. It's it's That's interesting. Right. Well, like will be, somebody will be waiting an extra hour for their lunch and they will yeah. not like you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, but the point you're making is actually, I think, a really profound one, which is to say, even when you're a junior person, uh, an assistant, an entry-level person, take pride in your job, right? Make totally. the extra effort, go the extra totally. mile, impress the people you're working for, because they're going to be the ones that decide whether you get to write a spec script for the episode or you, you know, you get an episode or you get hired back or they recommend you or bring you to the next show. Right. And so when you're the, when you're the kid that screws up the lunch order, uh, it, it just, it shrinks your, your, your chances. Right. Yes. It sounds silly, but it totally does. Yes. You want to be competent. And I will say I, like, I, I was really proof of that in that, you know, I would often stay late if, if like, the room got stuck on something. I would stay and like type up, you know, be fixing my notes and just stare at the board and see if I could come up with anything so that the next morning I could pitch a solution or I could, yeah. you know, write or call the individual writer later and say like, I was thinking about the story and I hope you don't mind. And never in a proprietary way, never in a way that made yeah. it seem like I was like all about Eve, right? You know, but it was just like, for the good of you, I want to be able, you know, for the good of the show, I'm putting in the extra, I, I'm young and don't have a family. So I can stay after and like do this and think about the show 24 hours a day. So I'm going to do it while I can. And then hopefully you'll benefit from that. And what ended up happening is, you know, three years later into my run at CSI, when it was my turn to write a script, that room had my back like nothing you've ever seen. They were handing me articles from the newspaper and saying, I saw this and thought, this is such a Sarah story. I think we should do this for yours. And like, we, you know, I can't, like reading early drafts for me and giving me notes so that like when I turned it into the executive producers, I didn't have to feel embarrassed. And, you know, like just lining up and having my back in such a way that was unbelievable. And, you know, their feeling was you did it for us for years. Like, of course we're doing it for you. You know, it was really, you know, that's really like, you know, I'm just going to extrapolate again. Like what you're talking about is like generosity, right? Like when you're generous and you help other people without an agenda, like you said, like, it's not all about Eve. It's like, Hey, let me just help you. Let me be as helpful as I can be at whatever level I'm at to the people above me, to the people yes. below me, to the people next to me. Yes. Um, because those people will then remember that and give that back to you when you're going through something rough or when you need help or when you're just looking for opportunity, right? That's right. Um, it's and a business where oftentimes people aren't that nice to each other, right? They're very short-sighted because it's all repeat players, right? Yep. Um, and, so, and so you want to have that generosity, especially when you're trying to to break your way in or get to the next level, right? A hundred percent. And you make a good point about the people next to you too, because by the way, like, yes, you know, managing up is always a, a decent strategy, but like, you know, the people who are very far above you will only be in the business for the next 10 years or so, right? And the people sitting next to you are the people who are going to be there with you growing together. So That's like, right. also don't, right. don't, don't get so competitive that you end up ostracizing everyone in your peer group either. That's right. That's right. And by the way, we'll all be working for our assistants someday. So yeah. be really nice to them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. I thought it would be fun to switch it up and ask you some questions about the TV you love to watch. Can we do that? Sure. So, okay, here's the first one. I've actually thought about my answers to these. I had the benefit of seeing them in advance because I wrote them. So uh, <laughs> what TV series of any era do you wish you could have written on? Well, have a, I'll answer it by saying the shows, there are two shows that come to mind are the shows that made me want to be a TV writer because yeah. I would watch them and think somebody wrote this, right? Which were Moonlighting, 
and classic and 30 something. Another classic, fantastic shows and, and shows that are very much in keeping with the shows that you wanted to write coming into the business. Right. And, and some of which that you wrote, some of the shows you wrote for are in that vein. That's really interesting. I, you know, it's funny. Like I took the question, I, I took the question in a different direction. I, like, my answer to that was um, I love Lucy in the Mary Tyler Moore show, which mm-hmm. recently we've been rewatching as our fall asleep show. Yeah. Um, and you know, like just to have been around those talented women, women who are like talented comedians and producers and business people. Like I would have, I would have dug that, you know, yeah. that would be uh, so amazing to sort of see them at work. Um, what's your favorite, what's your favorite new series? <gasps> if you can even like time box the year with COVID, it's like, I don't even know. Yeah, what I don't even know when stuff. <laughs> I don't. Your I, favorite recent show. I, favorite <laughs> recent show. Um, I'll say my favorite limited series that came out was the um, Amanda Seyfried, Liz Merriweather version of The Dropout, the, the yeah. story about, I was so pleasantly surprised by that because I sort of thought, oh, the material's so dry and I don't know. And, you know, I think of Liz as a comedy writer and I was yeah. so impressed with the way that they handled it and hand, and the, the acting and the writing. Like I just was... I just thought, wow, the talent was full cylinder across the board on that one. Yeah, Yeah. such an insane story, too. I mean, you know, it's like the character herself is like so fascinating. I mean. And could have um, been so arch or so weird, like just unapproachable. But they they did so much with like music and dance and her body, her physicality. And I just I, I was like. I, I sort of was kind of bowed down. I gave my props to that one. I was like, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. For me, the, the best title of the year is She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Uh, I have not watched the show, but it, <laughs> it wins on title. I just, yeah. I, you know, it makes you just want to watch it, doesn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. You know, I really, I really enjoyed, when I was thinking about my list, I really enjoyed so many shows that were made by or about women, you know, um, Minx, which is by mm-hmm. another Hustle Up member, Ellen Rappaport, and, uh, you know, Abbott Elementary, which, you know, is just hilarious. And, you know, I think reinventing the network sitcom and um, Julia, which I really enjoyed about Julia Child. You know, I mean, what a great sort of take on her and somebody somewhere, which, you know, I thought was like mm-hmm. the best sort of quiet kind of yeah. small uh, uh, show, you know, I say small, not like, you know, like not, no, you know, no, not yeah. but those, but, you know. by the way, those are kind of my jam. Like if I could, yeah. like, I yeah. think life and Beth, I would put in that category too. Yep. Like I yep. don't, I don't always go for everything, Amy Schumer, but that one really, I was like into like, cause that's the kind of like, you know, the flea bag, Rami, somebody yeah. somewhere, you know, th- those, those shows that are like quiet one person visions of something. Yeah, that are just Often they just touch story you or, and, yeah, yeah I, I, lo- I love them and they're so delicious that they they happen so fast, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then of course there's the Tinder Swindler from our partners at AGC Studios, which uh, <laughs> if you haven't watched the Tinder Swindler, it is addictively good. Okay, uh, addictively okay. good, uh, and and makes you uh, really not want to go on a dating app. Uh, but um, so, who's your favorite protagonist on TV right now? Do you have one, like a character oh that you just love? Oh my goodness. Well, you know, it's funny. I never watched um, The Good Fight and I'm I'm finally watching it. I, Interesting. Like, you know, I, I got my Paramount Plus subscription for, you know, nice. all kinds of reasons. And so I've been, that's been my binging thing lately. And I have to say, 
Christine Baranski is a super interesting character. I love yeah. that they made her an older woman and she's like microdosing psilocybin. And like she, they, they, they did some very interesting things with her and they did some interesting things in those early seasons because, you know, it started in 2016. So she's yeah. the opening image is her watching Trump be inaugurated. And so yeah. she spends like the first few years thinking, am I going insane? And they put on these yeah. like fake newscasts where she's watching and it's like, President Trump brought a pig into the White House. And she says to people like, did he bring a pig into the White House? And they're like, no, what are you talking about? And she's like, don't look at me like I'm insane. Everything's insane. Why is that in the world? You're so brilliant, by the way. Can we just for a minute just appreciate Christine Baranski? Yes. Because she's so talented. Yes. She's so talented. Um, yeah, no, I, I, you know, I haven't watched it uh, because I don't have Paramount Plus. Uh, but, you know, you're making me like really like want to go and get the subscription now because that I sounds amazing. I think you can watch some of it with Amazon Prime. I can't remember remember but Probably. there's some way but anyway so that's not a good answer to my favorite protagonist of 2022 because I'm now like seven years by whatever six years behind on the show but um that's okay we're gonna give you that one because it's Christine okay, Baranski, okay great so. great yeah she's just super interesting and she she they give her a lot of a lot of depth and a lot of chance to play some interesting things and you know she gets hired by this predominantly black firm so she's kind of the minority in the firm and trying to like that's an, that already interesting yeah. premise and so yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, you know, I, uh, I also like, I think Miss Marvel is cool. Like I'm really excited about like Miss Marvel as like a young, you know, uh, a diverse superhero. I I'll, I'll give, I'll, I'm not a superhero show watcher typically, but I'll give Miss Marvel props for, uh, for, for an awesome protagonist, mm -hmm. current, current protagonist. What about villains? Do you have any villains that you're, uh, you're jamming on right now? I mean, the entire cast of Succession, I guess. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. That's exactly what I wrote for the answer to this question. <laughs> the entire cast of Succession. And and Javi from Ozark. Uh, I thought I thought Javi mm. was a pretty great villain mm -hmm. on Ozark. Uh, he scared the bejesus out of me, if I can say that. Uh, he, uh, yeah. he, 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 was, he was a frightening uh, uh, nemesis. Yes, um, yes. And what about, um, what about uh, you know, kind of, the most shocking plot twists of, of a recent show you've watched? Has there been anything that surprised you? Like just you didn't expect where the show was going to go? I mean, this is, a, I'll, I'll toot our own horn for a second. And that in the, in partner track at the very end, the love interest does something that's a pretty deep betrayal. That's pretty shocking. And I wow. had several people come to me and say, like, I can't believe he did that. And I was like, oh, <laughs> we, we touched the nerve. Like, and in my mind, I was like, he's been a shit son from the beginning. Like, you should never have trusted him, you know. But, but I like, people got invested and the chemistry was decent. And so, you know, they wanted to believe in this couple. And then... And then he really does something super shitty and, and screws her over. That's so great that you wrote something that shocked people. I love that. I mean, I did the room, I, the, the show we all wrote, you know, I, I, I didn't personally yeah. write it, but yes, as a room, we, we came up with the twist and, and we, we struggled because we were like, well, how, how will you ever like him again after that? It would be impossible to, to buy him back from something like that. And is that why you waited until the end to, to execute on the right part to have, it was the right moment for it to that blow to be delivered. And we were like, you know, he's, he's handsome. We can always win it back. <laughs> like like he's, you know, he's a charming British man. It'll always be fine. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so like that's a little bit of a self-serving answer, but I should, I'm trying to think. 
I mean, it's it's so hard. There's so much content that gets in that I, I should have given us a little more forethought because I'm like, what have I watched? I mean, it really, you have to go back and like, there's so much content, like so just, much content. Right I'm, when you were talking about villains, I was like, oh, and then there's the uh, Anna Del, what, uh, the um, the Shonda show about the con artist woman. And yeah, then, yeah, I invent inventing um, Anna, which I thought was very yeah. good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot, yeah. actually. Um, yeah, um, yeah. All these, all these sort of now limited series that are about these interesting stories from the real world uh, that have come along in the last, you know, couple of years, I think, uh, have really, a lot of them have been executed extremely well. Yeah. I also want to give a little shout out to, um, Reservation Dogs. Have you seen Great that? show. Oh Great my God. Show. It's really like, I, I, it was recommended to me and I started watching it and it became like, do we have to have dinner at the dining room table? Maybe we should just eat our dinner in front of the TV. Like we yeah. really got into it and the acting, I mean, it's so real. They picked... I think kids off the street in Oklahoma and taught them how yeah. to act. It's, it's really unbelievable. And, you know, I certainly did not grow up on a reservation in Oklahoma, but I feel often what those kids are feeling, you know, that sort of, that kind of lazy. It, relate. it, tra it translates yes, or it, it, that, it, it, it travels. Yeah. They've, they've captured something about teen life, regardless yeah. of that's, that's just kind of universal and fantastic. And so. Yeah. That, yeah. It's really, really wonderful. Liked. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. And 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 I will say, uh, you know, th there's so much great TV out there right now that it's hard to even, you know, uh, zero in. There's so much good stuff out you know, there right 15 now. minutes after we hang up, I'm going to call you and be like, ah, yes, I also yeah. like this show and this show. Damn, I didn't put it in there. The bear. I forgot to mention oh, the bear. Oh, the bear is really good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the actress on that show is so phenomenal, and we saw her do some stand-up because she also does stand-up mm -hmm. uh, here in LA at the Elysian, and her set was brilliant. She's like 24, recently graduated from NYU. She's so uh, brilliant and poised and wonderful. Um, well, Sarah, any final words for our listeners um, or, or final thoughts for folks that are coming up in the industry and trying to find their way as writers? Um. I take think, fountain. I take, I take fountain. Always check the lunch order. Um, I think that the Writers Guild is your friend. Like, I, I think yep. they, they put on a lot of events and have a lot of things, some of which are open to the public, some of which are not. But um, staying in touch and going to that library and, like, using them as a resource, I think sometimes people think of them as this sort of, like, oh, they're up in the sky over there on a mountaintop. And they're really not. And I yeah. think that they are can be a tremendous resource. Um, that's great. That's yeah. really great. I didn't know the library was open to anybody and that's super cool that you used it so effectively to like develop out your, your writing, you know, your writing chops early on. Oh, and join Hustle Up. Duh. And join Hustle Up. <laughs> See, I wasn't even going to like, you know, try and try and pull that out. But now that you've said it, yes, yes join, Hustle, join Hustle Up. Because it makes it really easy to network and find your people and find your collaborators that's and your right. writing group and all that stuff. That's right. See, I got that in there. That was good. Thank no, it's you. good. It's good. But it didn't exist when I was starting out. I, you know, I wouldn't even have known to. Yeah. So absolutely. I mean, We've had a lot of folks that are, 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 you know, at that sort of level of showrunner like you who have said that, like, oh, my God, this would have made my life so much easier when I was driving across the country, like you said, with all my stuff in the trunk of the car, right? Um, would it would have would have meant I had a place to go and find find people, you know, and, okay. and start to work work with them. Um, 
Well, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing uh, the story of your big break or big breaks, as the case may be, with us. Um, you know, I thought I knew everything about you, but I discovered a few new interesting stories today. Um, and that's it for this episode of Hustle Up's Big Break. Please join us for future episodes featuring production company CEOs, producers, writers, showrunners, and more. Our theme music for this episode was composed by Hustle Up member Lewis Robert King, and we'll be featuring different themes from other Hustle Up composers in future episodes. If you like what you hear, let us know. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Big Break. Mm-hmm.